welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. For this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ogechia Calabari from Action in Montgomery, a broad-based community power organization rooted in Montgomery County, Maryland's neighborhoods and congregations. Ogechi shares how she started in community organizing and how the profoundly relational nature of organizing has infused the way she approaches her everyday life. She also gives all of us listeners a super important and unique call to action that I hope we can all take part in. I'm super excited today to be joined by my friend, my colleague, my uh, tourist extraordinaire in San Francisco, (laughs) Ogechi Calabari. Did I say that right? Yes, perfect. I've been practicing since San Francisco, um, you know, I must say, but welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, As um, we've mentioned in previous episodes, we're highlighting different organizing work, specifically um, in the faith-based setting and um, from all around the country. And you're you're kind of famous, you know, you won. You won uh, the Cardinal Bernadine Award, which, um, for those who don't know, is an award um, that comes through the Catholic Campaign of Human Development through the USCCB. Um, But you're also just very, I think, well-known, right, in the Catholic young adult world. And I'm just so glad to have you on, I think, to talk about specifically the work that you're doing in community organizing and that you have been doing for years. Um, So I was wondering if maybe you want to start with just kind of introducing yourself and talking a little bit about What's your origin story? Like, how did you get involved uh, with organizing in the first place? Absolutely. So um, I was born in Nigeria and I came here when I was a baby. And my family, for the most part, we've lived in Maryland, which is a pretty like, I don't know if I would say like fabulous place to grow up, but I think it's amazing because of the proximity to DC. And so just knowing that you're so close to the center of a lot of the nation's issues was really cool growing up. And then also my identity as an immigrant and having parents that are immigrants um, was also interesting for me. And it focused me a lot on the others in society. Um, My first exposure with organizing was in high school where my parents were participating in Action in Montgomery, an action that was um, centered around what was then called the Maryland Dream Act, which was kind of the precursor to what we know as the Dream Act or DACA program that we have in the United States. And someone was making a pulpit announcement at the end of mass about an action that was taking place in later that Sunday. And my parish had been one of the founding organizations for Action in Montgomery. So we had a lot of involvement in organizing in the county. And um, the person that was talking was talking about the experiences of students that were undocumented and why the Maryland Dream Act would be impactful and important for them. And having had my own you know, very small but in, in important immigrant experience and seeing the struggles of my parents and knowing the opportunity that my dad had to be able to come to the United States to study college. I kind of was touched by the story and also kind of enraged with the fact that I, you know, didn't understand and know the plight of people like me that were soon to be applying for colleges and just by the nature of their immigration status would be 
saddled with a financial burden. Um, and so I really didn't think that was fair. And I also found it fascinating that my parents who really weren't as um, agitators as I thought I, I thought I was, um, were getting involved in this way. And so that kind of was the first bug for me. And then in college, as many college students are, they get more involved in community. So I got involved in racial justice issues. Um, when the Gina Six, I don't know if anyone remembers that that case was happening. I was, you know, helping with protesting things, helping with getting voter turnout, um, and just engaging in relational conversations with people in the Pittsburgh community where I went to school. Then, of course, I come home and I'm like, hmm. I don't know. I just had a thought. I was like, whatever happened to Action in Montgomery? Is it still happening? I didn't stay connected throughout college, so I really had no idea. And some some one of the elders in my parish was like, oh, a young person, interesting. <laughs> Come to this meeting. And I came to the meeting and I learned and I came to like a three-day training and I learned some more. And meeting after meeting, you know, several years later, here I am. Um, and it's been an amazing experience to connect my passion for service, my interest in people that are in the margins, and also just my kind of like curiosity of why things happen in communities and who gets to make decisions and who doesn't get to make decisions. Wow. Thanks for sharing. There's so much um, to unpack there. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, she's like, let me start when I was a kid and then my parents. Well, of all those experiences that you have, I wonder if there is a moment, um, you know, I think a lot of young folks when we're involved in work um, and I think in the church at large, we see a lot of the direct service side um, mm -hmm. of, of, you know, helping and of being charitable toward others. And, um, you know, organizing is a little bit different from that. Was there a moment kind of in your journey where you, where you were like, I want to organize, like, this is, this is how I want to, I want to help. Um, I would say, I think the first moment that I had that was in college when we were doing get out the vote, which isn't really direct service, but it was definitely different from what I was used to. It was different from like soup kitchens and serving cup of joe kind of things for the homeless, all amazing things that are necessary for society. But in the conversations that I would have with people to encourage them to register to vote, and I was in school in Pennsylvania, which is a very like pivotal state to win for local and also presidential elections. Um I would have conversations with people that I would never encounter on a college campus. People that were recently uh, new arrivals from being incarcerated, people that were immigrants. And so many people were like, oh, sweetie, you're wasting your time because they don't want to hear from people like me. We vote and nothing happens. Or I don't even have the uh, ability to vote because in the state, if you are have this felony, felony, sorry, or this criminal record, you lose your ability to vote. And I was, I was taken away. I was like, who gets to make this choice? Who gets to say that your voice doesn't matter? And why is it that rep repetition of policies that were promised and taken away keep happening? And mm -hmm. so I realized that there's like as great as direct service is, infiltrating and understanding the systems behind the direct needs are just as important. And I think that's why I sought out organizing after college. Wow. That's, 
That's cool. I think a lot of us folks in organizing had similar moments, right? Where it was just like, this ain't right. <laughs> like, yes. hold on. Why does this work this way? And it's like, the more you start to see it, the more you realize like, yeah, like direct service is beautiful and like absolutely necessary, but it's like, it's kind of like, you've got to be doing both. There's mm-hmm. no way, right? It's, or it's just going to kind of be this like nonstop churning of of pain and trauma. So what are you currently working on? I know that you're still organizing with Action in Montgomery. You're also a board member, but you also, you know, you have a full-time job and you you have a lot of things going on. So what, yes. what are you working on right now? What does organizing look like for you? So um, I have to be honest, during the pandemic, it was a little bit, it was beautiful and it was a little bit weird because that relational aspect was hard to do virtually over Zoom and we did our best. We had strategy team meetings over Zoom and we had actions, which is not the same. The energy in the room wasn't the same. And we just recently had our first big major action um, since 2020, really, um, where we filled the room, filled uh, a local parish or congregation. And it was just amazing to feel that energy. Um, Right now, Action in Montgomery and other organizations are working collaboratively in a way that hasn't been done before. And part of that was fueled from, um, you know, things that occurred during the pandemic years. And as a lot of organizations were reevaluating priorities and how they could use their power, not just in their counties or smaller regions, but across the state of Maryland. So it's been really cool to work with organizations across the state of Maryland. And part of that was prior to the Maryland state elections, having conversations with people running for local Maryland government positions. Um, We've been doing, I did my first lobbying at the state house with uh, congressional members. And it was really cool to to do that for the first time, specifically around climate justice. Um, And so for me, we, the things that I'm most passionate about, I'm passionate about all of our issues, but I'm really interested in to step more into the climate justice space because that intersection of racial justice and mm. climate justice isn't often talked about. Um, and to educate immigrant families and educate specifically immigrants and minorities of why this climate justice issue isn't like, you know, a hippie white issue. It's mm. it's something that disproportionately affects people of color and people in poverty and connecting the two and learning a lot for myself and being able to share that knowledge so that they can continue to be on the table when we're making decisions about affordable housing and what that looks like, retrofitting mm-hmm. homes so that um, landlords are incentivized to you know, electrify homes and mm-hmm. what does electrification do for their bill, all of those things. Um, it's just really, we're like in a data research And as much as yeah, it's 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 really exciting because it's like I know so much about affordable housing. I'm not an expert, but like we've hit that drum so many times. So it's like that that phase of asking and what we need is is kind of like known to us. Mm -hmm. But how it how it comes together with tenant rights and climate rights that's something that's come from. The organizing we've done with parents and schools and organizing we've done with tenants and realizing in these conversations like this issue of climate and gas explosions and gas exposure and leaks mm-hmm. and mold and things that um, affordable housing landowners are not taking care of 
this intersects with climate justice. And so that's something that I'm really fascinated with because it also intersects with the, my Catholic faith and the mm. Laudato Si um, encyclical and our call for care for the environment and how that affects humans that live in poverty or in lower income communities. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that y'all are doing some intersectional work right now too, right? Because I feel like it's it's like you're saying, um, there are issues that are very commonly perceived to be belong, right? Or to only mm -hmm. be, cons you know, with specific communities, I can think of like immigration. A lot of people are like, oh, that's a Latino issue. It's like, it's yes. not an, a Latino issue. Yes. Um, I think it's convenient to some that they believe it's only a Latino issue, but it's not, right? And so those intersections are so important. I'm wondering, um, you know, within the faith-based setting, right? How does that how was that experience for you in the area that you live in? Um, for example, like I live in California, so <laughs> there can be a lot of tension um, as a faith-based organizer and a faith-based organization coming into some of these, um, you know, spaces where we're talking about a lot of justice issues because of how faith can be perceived by some. How, mm -hmm. how does that factor into your work or what does that manifest itself as in the work that you're doing now? So traditionally organizing has been like very faith focused. And I think as, as in action in Montgomery, we've been mindful to continue that, that um, history of faith, but also understand that as people are unfortunately are becoming deinstitutionalized and less involved in less formally involved in maybe parishes or congregations, they might be involved in their schools or in, in tenant associations. So connecting them in this organizing work might draw them closer to their faith, may not, but also it, it provides a lens to view people of faith in a different way, in a way that may not be portrayed on Twitter or social media or in the news. Um, and so they, if I encounter someone of the Jewish faith and I ask them like, why are you doing the organizing? And they, they tell me like, um, this is a, a tenet of our faith and justice work is a part of like our, our temples, like our synagogues, like understanding of faith or this wonderful woman that I organized with, um, who's Muslim, the same thing that justice work is a central tenet of her faith. I have a greater appreciation for those different faith practices and how they intersect with my own. And so now when I talk about, you know, people of other faiths, other people, I'm like, and my Jewish brother and sister or my Jewish sister, like, this is why she does it. And I can add nuance to the conversation and understanding of another's faith. But I also um, am mindful that sometimes the heavy, heavy interfaith focus that we have in Action in Montgomery, especially in actions where there's like, prayers that are said that might be like very Christian leaning or, and there might be people in the room that are struggling with their faith or have no faith that might be isolating to them, but they still show up because the issues and our, our powerful impact is that, is that important to them? I've also seen people's faith grow because of their organizing involvement, mm. just because of the constant contact with people of faith that are doing the work, like walking the walk and talking to talk and walking the walk. Yes. Um, and a lot of the reasons why people disassociate themselves from institutions is because of hypocrisy or feeling like they're the only ones whose, whose ideals are matching up with what they're willing to do to uphold those ideals. So being around people who are doing those things together 
can help strengthen, you know, faith identities that might be fragile. Um, and also knowing that like, I can do work with someone that is agnostic or doesn't have faith. And we're both still doing God's work, work, even if they don't believe in God, because the Holy Spirit is that powerful. Mm. That is beautiful. That's just such a good description of like, the work and what it looks like, you know, I, I've being Catholic, you know, personally, and being in a lot of Catholic circles, I know sometimes people are like, what are you doing? Like, what is your, what is your job? Why are you always like, you're either at church, you're at a synagogue, you're at a mash did like, and then you're like protesting, like, what, <laughs> what is this world? Um, and I've appreciated kind of, I run into you into all kinds of spaces um, that aren't necessarily right of like the, the just social justice box, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. I've, I've interacted with you in young adults events and at youth events. I'm wondering, um, what's your take on how organizing can kind of be either integrated or inform the way that ministry is done, um, that direct service is done and all of those things. Cause I know I'm always, I have to kind of stop myself all the time. Cause I'm constantly trying to organize people and I'm like, this is a retreat. <laughs> This is not a, we're not <laughs> building a base right now. Um, <laughs> so what, what's your take on that? I'm curious because I feel I, like I've learned a lot from you. <laughs> I feel I, like we've been um, trying to organize people. <laughs> yes, we're like, we're like menaces, but it's a good thing. I'm a menace for Jesus. You know, menace for God. It's great. Um, but I will say that I've learned a lot about how to interact with people through organizing mm -hmm. and how to not just have relationships. Like um, recently I lost a friend and she was someone who I always would see in pews in church, but then through like just off the whim, she had asked to join a small group um, and we got closer and then, you know, our relationship deepened. And I thought like her, her friendship, even though it was so short, was such a gift but it was such a gift because I made the conscious decision to get to know the core of who she is. Um, and also like go beyond just the like, hi in the pew or how's everything going? And when you ask someone like, how are you doing to really want to know how are they, how they're doing, not just fine or, oh, it's a busy season or whatever, but to like get to know a little bit more of the layers of who they are. And of course you can't do that at every single person in your parish, but that kind of relational work is done in a lot of Protestant spaces. And I've mm. seen the beautiful fruits of that. And so as much as I can in my like small role in my parish <laughs> doing youth and young adult ministry, I try to incorporate elements of relational, relational meetings, but I don't call it that relationship <laughs> building or whatever term I can slide in there. In fact, yesterday I gave a talk at Howard University and I opened it with a rounds question, which is a, a another traditional um community organizing tactic to just see it like, kind of like an icebreaker question. Um, and they were just like, what? What's going on? <laughs> and I was like, you gotta answer this question, not aloud, but like we didn't have time for everyone to go on around, but I, I did it like to kind of force them to think deeply about the mm. subject and to like, not just listen to me as a speaker, but to figure out how this connects with you as a person. And rounds questions could be used for a lot of different, in, lo in a lot of different ways and for a lot of different reasons. But I do that with my youth. They don't know that it's a rounds question. It's like a, just like a, a question to ponder. And 
and I force them to answer so they can't just like pass. So, and I, I get to know like the depths of who they are. And I think that's why I'm so connected with them because it's not just like me sharing faith and theology or whatever, but mm. us having really deep and meaningful conversations. Right now we're doing a deep dive on Catholic social teaching and I gave them like community organizing one-on-one when we got to rights and responsibilities. And participation. <laughs> she like just snuck it, that in there. I was like, you guys are gonna learn about organizing. And we did relational meetings the whole time. And they loved it so much that they wanted to do it the next time we met. They were like, I have known her for like four years of high school. We're seniors now. And I didn't know any of this information about her. And I said, what would it look like if you had these kind of conversations with family members? Like, you know, your parents as just people that take care of you, but do you know the essence of what makes them who they are? What makes them Mm. tick? What drives them crazy? What about society they wish they could change if they had the power to to do it? Um, And some of the prompting questions were just simply like, what grinds your gears? I always say like, what burns my biscuits? And they're just like, (laughs) you want us to complain? I'm like, it's not complaining. Like what keeps you up at night? What about the world like, you know, haunts you or what legacy do you want to leave? Those kind of deep questions tell a lot about a person, what matters to them. And I think that is like, that deep kind of connection is lost sometimes in the social media interactions that we have, those quick moments that we are forced to have because we pack our schedule or just too busy to to do um the meaningful encounters that we should be doing and i i've tied it in with like understanding neighbor and getting to know your neighbor like how you love your neighbor is related to how deeply you know your neighbor Mm -hmm. so the more you know your neighbor and get to know the people that are closest to you you can practice that with people that are not as close and the circle continues to widen so just that practice of engaging with one another so that they can journey together well. Ah! Like, <laughs> plug for the plug um, for our projects. <laughs> yes. Um, and you know, continue that practice. And hopefully that's something that they can continue when they go to college and meet people so they can have deeper relationships that are more meaningful. We only have so much time in life. And Mm, so rather than having a million acquaintances that, you know, don't know the core of who you are, you don't know the core of who they are. I'd rather have like, you know, quality encounters, even if it's just for a season of life. So I've Mm -hmm. been really enjoying teaching that lesson and relating it to organizing and the systems that are behind the issues that we, um, you know, we do direct service for in the church. Um, But I also have a really awesome, I can shout them out, amazing high school youth group group. They're just Mm. deep thinkers. So they're ready for that kind of conversation. But yeah. for anyone that's listening that might like, I don't know, you might be working with middle school and you don't think they're mature. They are. They're really mature, but they have to be, you have to be patient with them and teach them that it's okay. Because a lot of this is vulnerable. Thinking mm-hmm. about your personal experience with maybe um, mental health or or um, whatever, whatever issues are affecting right now in our area, there's a, as many areas, there's a really big problem with addiction and mental health. Mm-hmm among youth and that's a top topic a lot of them are concerned about we recently had um my former high school a student overdose just casually you know during lunch break and thankfully because of narcane he was uh, revived but those are issues that keep these kids up at night and us as adults should be wondering what those issues are and 
figuring out how to work collaboratively, not for them, but collaboratively with mm. them to empower them to understand the powers that be, the systems that are behind it and what they can do to move the needle for change. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. Cause I think it's so, it's so necessary. Like I think, you know, organizing, there's a cycle and there's stages, but like what you're talking about, that relational piece, like that's the work, right? Like yes. it's, it's like, I, I, a lot of my friends are like, How, why are you tired from work? It's like, you're just chilling with people. It is, it is talking, exhausting. Yes. You're having coffee, you're at a meeting and you guys are all laughing and whatever. That doesn't look like work. You know, they're used to like at a computer. And I'm like, it's a different kind of exhausting, right? It's not like I've been staring at a computer all day. It's like I've been listening to people talk about their lives. And um, in many ways, it's, you know, it's, it isn't, it's not meant to be surface level. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about organizing is that it's, I, I didn't realize how much of being an organizer is like, yeah, we're forming leaders and we're walking them through a process, but it's also like organizing has changed me. Yes. <laughs> like yes. as a per, like I can't not. And I love, that's why I love seeing you. Cause I'm like, she gets it. She knows. Like I have friends that are like, you know, not everything has to be a deep conversation. I'm like, so too. <laughs> like uh, with me, <laughs> with me, it needs to be deep. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know exactly the questions that you were mentioning. So I, I really admire that um, in the way that you've been carrying that and the work that you're doing even in your role, right, as uh, doing youth and young adult ministry, um, that's not necessarily like, right, like social justice work. Mm -hmm. But I think when we look at it, you know, we're, we're creating the relationships with the people who are being impacted every day, and who will be future leaders or current leaders in our communities, and the skills that they can obtain from organizing, or not even the skills, I really think it's like a disposition of spirit. Yes. How they move, right? In the world. Like it's not about knowing, it's about being. And that's why I love mm -hmm. organizing so much. I don't know if that resonates with you. No, that absolutely resonates with me. I think part of what, you know, people are fearful of the future of society is that we are lacking the disposition to care for the other mm. and to even just see who the other is as a whole person and not a statistic, not an um an asset not a burden but just a being that is deserving of dignity and deserving of understanding and i think in our passivity in life we can dismiss each other really really easily and as much as we can create like emotionally intelligent spiritually intelligent human beings that are walking the earth and, and challenging that mindset the better the world will be and so if I can just keep planting seeds as um, Oscar, say Oscar Romero always talked mm. about. I don't see the fruits of those seeds, but I'm keep planting them and hope that they take root in the hearts of these, these young adults and youth. Mm. Amen. Amen. Now, what is an opportunity right now that you're really excited about in the issue work specifically that you're doing, whether that's in climate justice or maybe even in youth ministry? What's, what are you super excited about? Um, so with AIM specifically, I would say climate justice for sure. Um, and also, um, not too far from where I live, there's a mall that's been in disarray or whatever, and finally they're tearing it down. <laughs> it's very niche, but like, again, so sorry. Um, this is asked. important. I mean, the local and, stuff is important. Yes. And I live nearby, like, this is my, you know, neighborhood. 
Um, and it's across the street from a community that we've been doing tenant organizing with. And um, we've just, we have a very new county council, um, the most diverse county council that we've had in such a long time. And so there's a lot of hope in the work that they can do, but there's also a lot of opportunity to like, I don't know, selfishly like mold them to be more organizing focus and thinking in their thinking of possibilities and dreams mm -hmm. that they have for the county. Oh, um, yes. And I really, I really think this space that um, the small compound is an opportunity to like see if they are willing to like dream big with us as an organization mm. to make sure that affordable housing truly affordable housing not just like moderately priced units are built maintained and maybe are modeled after the climate justice initiatives that we are hoping for and an opportunity for community building for those tenants that might that will live across the street from there who those tenants who have had a lot of issues with housing commissions. So um, I'm excited to see where that goes. Of course, that'll take time. And then with my work with youth and young adults, I just really like these kids. I don't I don't try to gas them up too much because I don't want them to have big heads. <laughs> but they're like, it's been such a blessing. This is my first year and I couldn't ask for like a greater bunch of like really dedicated young leaders mm. so much so that they are like, they asked me to host a leadership retreat for them. And if they don't think organizing stuff is going to be in it, they're, they're kidding themselves. But just uh, because I get to also work with young adults, there's a unique opportunity to do. It's so intergenerational, just one generation mm -hmm. or so. Um, intergenerational work with them, mentorship, mentorship opportunities. So I'm excited to see how that can happen because a lot of these youth are going to transition quickly into young adults and I get to walk with them into that journey and care for them and minister them even if they're in college and away from home so um that's exciting and I just really I don't know I know the Holy Spirit's like there's a lot of things percolating and <laughs> your I'm eyes like, are like <laughs> like I just have all these like cool ideas oh, um, I love it. and I you know I'm just like hoping that I'm doing what God is willing for the this youth and for the work that I do with AIM. But I really would love to get more involved in youth organizing and formalize mm -hmm. it in some way. Um, so, and I've talked with the lead organizer for AIM, executive director for AIM, and um, she's interested. So we'll see, maybe stay tuned, watch this Oh, space. that is so <laughs> exciting. Youth really energize me. I feel like the youth of this, you know, the generation after us and even this newer generation are just so primed for it in a different mm -hmm. way than like I was growing up that it's like the potential of that community um, of, of young people is, is I'm that excites me too, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Like, oh, yes. My, my head did the thing. I was like, Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Um, I guess maybe to wrap us up, cause you know, we are organizers is there a call to action or a challenge or some kind of next steps you want to challenge all of our listeners to? Um, yes. So I have two things. I think definitely I'm not going to be like, have like 10 relational meetings with someone that's, that's very taboo. I mean, not taboo, very cliche, <laughs> but I will say um, one of the things that I realized um, during the pen, well, just before the pandemic was that I wanted to have deeper relationships with family members. I come from a, a family that like 
we don't really talk deeply about our feelings. I don't know mm. if it's just a Nigerian That's, thing or just like my might family. Might be an immigrant thing. I don't know. Mine's yeah. the same way. We just like survive and, you know, like we'll talk about like, oh, I'm like so annoyed at my coworker, but like nothing about like the essence of the person. And I, I don't know. I had had a friend that lost a parent and I was just like, wait a minute. I don't really know my mom. So I, I would have like mother daughter dates with her. Um, we haven't had one in a while, so we're due for one. But um, I would just ask her kind of like relational questions, even though I didn't tell her that's what it was. Basically, if I could sneak in a relational meeting, even if it's 30 minutes, I'm going to do it. And I just asked her, like, I think the question, the first time I asked her why she named, like, why we all had Nigerian names and her name is like American or English. And she told us the story. She told me the story about that. And I was like, oh, wow, you're kind of a revolutionary. She was like, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm living with you this whole like, time. <laughs> she doesn't, because I'm like the outspoken, you know, like ruffle the feathers. Yeah. Burn down the system kind of person. <laughs> and she's very much like, I color within the lines. I'm not going to mm. cause any trouble. And so the story of her naming me was kind of like a stick it to the European colonizers kind of thing. Wow. Um, and I was like, wait a minute. And she was like, well, I never thought of myself that way. So it was just a, like, it was a eye-opening experience for me mm. to see that with for my mom. And it was also yeah. a self, self eye-opening, I don't know what the term for that is, experience for her to see that for herself. And so imagine if people that are listening could do that with their parents, if they're still with them, or siblings that they might be, you know, hoping that they have closer relationships with their children, um, if, especially if you have adult children or teenage mm -hmm. children, ask those questions like, what keeps you up at night? You may not know, like you live with this kid and you care for this kid forever. <laughs> but I, if I tell these parents, like, <laughs> these are the things that they've said keeps them up at night that like really burns their biscuits or things, if they had any superpower to change, that they would change. Did you know this about your kid? Yeah. Did you know this potential power that your kid has? So if you have kids or if you have family members that you want to grow in relationship, ask them those questions because that's that says a lot about the core of who they are as a human being. Mm. And practice that with family and friends. And then, you know, practice that with colleagues and expand your circle wider. Um, the more you get to know the like, um, I don't know why I'm about to cry. Gosh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, this I'm is organizing, Ogechi. This is the organizer life. I think the more you get to know the people that you get to share this earth with, especially people you see on a regular basis, even if it's just like the barista or whatever that you see every day at Starbucks, the more, um, the richer your life is. Mm. And I'm just going back to like having lost a friend I kept going back to um oh I can't quote the bible to save my life but essentially Saint Paul writes I give thanks to almighty God at every remembrance of you Ooh. and in order to give thanks to God a remembrance of your encounter with someone hopefully it's a meaningful encounter mm. that you have with them and so the more meaningful encounters you have with people, the more you can give thanks to God for their their memories and their mm. your experience with them. So um, I think, you know, being relational and being deep in your encounters is a beautiful way to spend your time here on earth. And, mm. you know, and in that, in that the reverse happens, they hopefully have, you know, memories and encounters that they can be thankful for of you. Oh, amen. 
Amen, amen, Ogechi with the fire. Ryan, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's the world I kept we live together. in. together. <laughs> she was like, hey. <laughs> oh, Ogechi, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story and your heart and just everything uh, that you're doing for your community, but also for the church at large. And just, you know, I really think every person that's organizing is changing the world. I really, really believe that. And um, yes, thank you. Thank you so much thank for you. spending time talking with us today. Absolutely. This is amazing. Have a great day. <laughs> thank you. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justicerising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at ipjcseattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at ipjc.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.